The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to the Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters 38 through 42 of The Great Hunt, book two of The Wheel of Time. Uh, previously on the Dragon Reread, Tom's lady friend got murdered, so Tom decided to go all Liam Neeson style rampage. Uh, Patton Fane is trying to get in with Sean Chan, but he's having some rough luck with Turok, so it's not going well. Uh, Rand and the Horn Hunters decide to crash a fancy party. They try to get some Tomon head, but she <laughs> keeps gate blocking them. Classic. This is one of those classic podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Loyal apparently is like the Ozier version of Ryan Gosling, and the like Ozier ladies are getting all creepy and predatory. Uh, they try and do some portal hopping, but instead, uh, instead, but shit gets super weird and alter re- reality e, I guess. And they arrive in Tomon head four months late. <laughs> yeah, way to go, Rand. <laughs> nice work. Uh, so, chapter 38, Practice, with the Flame of Tarvalon. So, uh, Egwene, uh, Min, Nynaeve, and Elaine are chatting in Egwene's, like, hobbit hole, or whatever. It's like a tiny room. Yeah, this is basically like the college dorm experience, right? They're yeah. just, like, all hanging out in someone's dorm room. I was thinking more like a nun's cell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that actually probably makes sense based on like the sparse decorations. Bear cell. They they drilled a hole between the walls so they could chat to each other like prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> that is a little weird, right? But you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like, yeah. you have company. Oh, I, don't know. I thought it was weird at first, but it's like these people are all weapons of mass destruction because mm-hmm. they can all blow up cities or whatever. Maybe not that much, but they can all do things with their mind. So they until they know what they're doing, they keep them locked up basically. With no no rights and no freedoms, even though they're grown women? I don't know if I buy that one. I don't think they're doing it in terms of, like, their own safety. I think that's just, like, joining any organization, like the Marines or whatever. It's kind of like boot camp. Like a cult. I said I boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. It really does feel kind of hazy, the the fact that they're all... You know, all, all the new folks coming in, the, uh, they, they have all these like strict rules, and they break the rules, they yeah. get punished, you know. Sometimes yeah, that, that's what surprised work. me, because these are... These people happen to be young, but, you know, Nynaeve is, a, is an adult, right? She had a job, right? She's not a kid. Mm-hmm. But she, and I guess she did get jumped up a little bit higher. But if she hadn't already known what she was doing with the power, she would have just been a novice and had no rights. Yeah. Well, I want to point out that uh, this scene immediately fails the Bechtel test. Just throwing that yes, out there. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's a room full of girls, and they're just, like, sitting around, and all of a sudden they're like, so I saw you making eyes at this boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, they they just have a conversation. It's a conversation scene. Nothing much happens. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Egwene is into Galad because he's so dreamy. We do get some uh, political updates though. We found yeah. out that not just yeah, well, yeah. Also, she well, oh, real quick, she was uh, she had not been dreaming about Rand, which True. is interesting, right? So so her her she's having normal dreams, not fancy magic dreams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she was having these dreams. That seem to connect with the crazy devil dreams that Rand has, but since Rand is warping through time and space for these months, she doesn't have them. Isn't there a question if Egwene's dreams, like if they have some sort of meaning, or can she predict things? Aren't they trying to figure that out? If she can foretell? They are, yeah. But now, since she's not having those kind of weird dreams she was having, they seem to be normal dreams. Hmm. So at this point... See, I'm having trouble with timelines here because it's getting a little warped with Rand jumping forward four months. Yeah. So, so this is probably during the time when they've all disappeared, timeline-wise. Yes. Okay. I think that's what's happened. Is okay. they're not in the world anymore, so she doesn't have this connection. Right. <laughs> However, it works. I don't know. 
I mean, yeah, with time dilation, it's a little tricky. They just cease to exist for four months, or... Yeah. Yeah, right? Are they older, or... I don't know. Yeah. Uh, hang on. Let me uh, turn the sound off. <laughs> I know. I'm just Dude, a we're a professional podcast almost. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, what were you going to say about the politics? Oh, oh yeah. So uh, just we, we get some uh, some political updates as well. We learned that in addition to Barthanis dying, which we already knew, Galdrain's apparently also dead. Yeah. Which leaves a power vacuum in Kyrian. Did Tom kill him? Wow, that's a good question. We don't know. We like it. <laughs> That's the last time we saw Tom. He was like, I'm going to kill Galdrian. <laughs> And then, and he then, must have, right? Yeah, I mean, like, right like, away. It took him a day. Well, we don't know how many, t- how long it's been. <laughs> uh, yes, good point. It and I mean, it's long. not like Tom has anything else to do now that his lady friend's dead. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> either fucking or I'm killing. <laughs> I'm right. a fresh out of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Gleeman's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is like boot camp. This what what Egwene and stuff are doing. Uh, and Min sees something new. She sees danger all around them. So, did that happen because of because something changed? Did she not see this danger before? I don't think so, because otherwise she she's the way she talks about it is like it's something new. So the things she sees change, right? It's not if it's a prophecy of the future. Does that mean that it can change based on what people do? Is there no? Is there free will? Yeah. Well, so so uh, that that's an interesting point. But you have to keep in mind that. Uh, they're dealing with Tavarin, right? So, like, they're warping the, the, the pattern constantly. So, anytime he makes it, anytime any of them makes a decision, it could just, like, skew the, the direction of things completely, right? I guess so. Yeah, he's like a, an author. He's a player character. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I do find that a little confusing, how it's a combination of predestination versus... Because we constantly hear people like Moirain saying, oh, well, that's just what's going to happen. That's the way it is. Yeah. Um, this is part of the plan. But at the same time, we've got these Tavarin who are changing the patterns. Yeah, so. right. How does it work together? Yeah. So uh, basically right after Min says she sees danger around them, all of a sudden, Leandrin comes in. Leandrin Sedai, the uh, mean Aes Sedai. Right. And she's uh, Red Aja because all the mean Aes Sedai are Red Aja. Yeah. Slytherin. And she tells them that Rand is in danger and that Egwene and Nynaeve have to come with her to Tomon Head. And they totally swallow this. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> like, suspicious trip, huh? at okay, all. Sure, why not? <clears throat> uh, she says she's working with Moraine, even though everybody in the world knows that Moraine and Leandrin hate each other. But she says, I'm working with Moraine, so come with me right now and don't tell anybody about it because of the, the Black Aja. And they buy it. For yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but Min and Elaine decide to come with them also. Yeah. This really frustrated me that they just... There was no questioning whatsoever. I, yeah, I find it... I find it hard to believe from like a narrative standpoint. You know, they don't like Leandrin. Yeah. Well, I guess they don't know her that well. I mean, what... you need to know her for two seconds. You don't <laughs> like her. <laughs> yeah. That's fair, but it, uh, I mean, what, what to what degree have they been exposed to her before this point? I mean, they've had a couple of lessons for her when they were on the road. Rand had a lot more experience with her directly, I believe. Right. Mm, yeah, that's true. But they may not know her as well as as we do. Well, that's even worse than like some rando comes in and says, "You guys have to go." Like I, I know something about your farm boy buddy, yeah. and you guys have to go with me? 
And don't tell anyone because there's bad guys around. Yeah, right? Yeah, Yeah. don't tell anyone even though like you're specifically forbidden from from going anywhere. I have to say one of the things I'm tired of because especially I think the the one who's most surprising who went along with it is this is Nynaeve Mm because she's not as young as the other ones and she tends to be a very suspicious person I feel like. But she just goes along with it and I'm really tired of her motivation always being, oh, well, I have to take care of my people from Emmons Field Mm because that's why she agrees to go because she has to take care of Rand. Yeah, right? Even though... The, the only reason she has to believe that Rand is in danger from in this particular instance is because Leanna just told her this right now. Yeah. And and she's super suspicious of every Aes Sedai. I know, right? She treats them all like shit. And also, Min just said, I see new danger in your future, and then Leander locks it. <laughs> I mean, you know, timing. Yeah, yeah. So that's so they've decided to go off and go with Leander. And that's, that's yeah. it's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. It's a great idea. Good, good call, guys. So, chapter 39, Flight from the White Tower. The picture of an Avindasaur leaf, which is, I guess, is the sign of the ways. Yeah. So, uh, Egwene and Eve, Elaine and Min sneak out of the tower, kind of. Yeah, I mean, they just dress them in fancy clothes, and apparently no one looks at you if you're wearing fancy clothes. <laughs> yeah, right? Political commentary. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Leander is furious that the extra two people came, uh, which is not suspicious at all. Hmm. <laughs> So they head into the ways from the grove at the White Tower. And, uh, yeah, I wrote here in my notes, I can't believe they're falling for this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was, and so, so obviously this is suspicious. So I'm, like, reading Leandrin's words. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's used a lot of rhetorical questions to, to guide them. Yeah. If that's a loophole for an Aes Sedai. It is, if yeah. You just, if, it's, if you frame it as a question, it's not a lie, right? <laughs> I think that's true, yeah. And that's all she's doing, and, and even though these people are aware that Aes Sedai do that, they're still buying everything that she's lying to them with. Yeah, and Leandrin even says, had you remained in the White Tower, you might not have lived the night, because apparently the Black Aja would have killed them because they're friends with Rand? Yeah, what? Yeah. Why? That, that, that may be true. There's crazy things going on, but that's definitely a click here for more information moment. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Tell me more why the Black Aja wants to kill my farm boy buddy. <laughs> not to mention she said something like, Oh, I had somebody ready to take care of you, or something. You know, it's, it sounds very sinister. Right? I think. Yeah, of the other two. She's and they're like, like, "Take care." What? She's like, "I made arrangements for you two. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so they go through the ways, and it's terrifying because the ways is always terrifying. Uh, and Leandrin is navigating the ways with a parchment. Yeah. Uh, so just, I don't think she knows the ways. I think she just got a map from somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, we. We th- we're pretty sure that nobody knows the ways, short of a couple of Oj, even the Ogier, right? Cause, yeah, because they can read this. I remember Loyal's only able to navigate it because he was able to read the signposts, essentially. Right. But there's very little literature available on it, so it is kind of strange yeah. he has this information. Mm-hmm. And we're told several times too that nobody else can see the the parchment. The, uh, yeah, Robert Jordan right. specifically tells us that. I yeah. assume because it's written in. Well, if it's Trollock, it's probably written in shit. Yeah, and I noted that as they travel through the ways, the girls are still talking about Rand. Yeah, they're 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 being they're they're in the ways. There's the black wind all around them, and they're talking about who's going to marry Rand. That's like their conversation. Still talking about that, and they're weirdly calm about it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the last time anybody was in the ways, it was a terrifying experience. But they're Mm -hmm. like, hee hee hee. Maybe you'll marry Rand. Maybe I will. It's like a slumber party. <laughs> yeah. They don't have any pillows to, they don't have to have a pillow fight. That's true. Uh, so they, they do make it through the ways. This is a, a pretty easy ways trip, I guess. Uh, kind of uneventful. Uh, yeah. Except Egwene is having bad dreams again, and it looks like they're about Balsamon. Mm-hmm. That's true. So her prophetic dreams 
sort of start coming back. Yeah. A little bit. Do a little... Maybe she's drawn by Alzamon's attention. Uh, but they, they finally make it. They get to the other end. And so, chapter 40. Domine. With a icon of a leash and collar. Uh, I find these next few chapters with Egwene just incredibly frustrating and hard to read. Oh, yeah? Why's that? Because the slavery, the mind-control slavery aspect is like... I think it... It's out of place, right? Yeah. It's, it's awful. It's very torture right? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like torture porn. Yeah. Uh, and this is... This happens in a lot of fantasy series, actually. Yeah, yeah what was the... It's, uh, is it the Sword of Truth series? Where that there's like a thing, whole yeah. book where all of a sudden it gets into like a weird kind yeah, of like... Yeah, he's got like a magic place. sword and he's going on a quest to kill the evil guy or whatever. And then he gets captured by an evil dominatrix who tortures him for a while. Mm-hmm. And he like sexy tortures him for a while. <laughs> yeah. And then he escapes and goes on his quest. It just has nothing to do with anything except the author wanted to write that. Yeah. This has a very a very similar feel. It's like, oh, we put you on a leash and you have to do whatever we say no matter what. <laughs> and if you don't, we spank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a bit spoilerific. Because, uh, but, but it's happening right now. Leandrin delivers them to the Shanchen right outside the way gate. Double crossing. What? Wait, what? 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 Yeah, Leandrin wasn't, you yeah. know, helping them all along. Wasn't on the level. Oh no. Uh, walks them right into danger, and it takes them a long time, even after they walk out to meet these troops, to realize that this is a double cross. This was super frustrating to me because up to this point, okay, sure, fine, you know, they she's nice and I will believe her. They walk out and they're surrounded by troops, and they're like looking at Leander and like. Are you going to do something about this? It's like, dude, she just led you here. Come yeah, on, man. This is clearly a trap. Yeah. Nobody Le- picks it up. Leandrin gave no sign of agitation. Otherwise, Egwene would have jumped onto Bella right then. Mm-hmm. Leandra Sade, she said urgently. Who are these people? Are they here to help Rand and the others, too? <laughs> I mean, it's so Bambi-esque. Yeah, it is. Egwene is pretty smart, too. Yeah. yeah. Except for her obsession with boys. But, you know, whatever. She's a teenager. <laughs> uh, so Egwene gets collared. Uh, like a domine, and uh, Min gets captured, but Nynaeve and Elaine escape. There's a, a, a chaotic scene. I still think Robert Jordan writes really good action scenes. Yeah, this is, this is... Everything sort of explodes in chaos, and you don't really find out what happens until afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the Leandrin and the High Lady Suroth, who is there, talk about their master, uh, who they're serving. Wait, wait, wait. Who do you think? Mm, I, I don't know. We, okay. we have no way of knowing who this dark master that they're serving <laughs> is. Yeah, they, I, this was a little weird to me. I guess it's just a Shanchen thing, but like Surat is talking about her master that she serves in front of all of her troops and servants and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I thought they'd keep this dark friend stuff on the DL. Well, I, I, but I, I, think you're, I think you're spot on. I think it is a Shanchen thing. Like, if you remember, Lord Turok is... It, the people around him don't even behave like humans. They behave like furniture or like or or mm-hmm. appendages so i think that's it's a cultural thing like she's not afraid of talking about anything because she is of the blood and we don't know exactly what that means except it's probably related to this hawkwing thing mm-hmm. but it seems like whoever is of the blood is above any kind of law above any above any rule or law about anyone you know mm-hmm. so i i actually believe that they probably would just like not question her based on what we've seen so far yeah, I guess so. It just surprised me. Yeah, they, they, they talk about it very openly. Uh, so they uh, they mention that their Surath's orders are to take Egwene and Nynaeve across the Aerith Ocean back to where they came from. We don't know why. By name, these two people. Yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah which is strange. Yeah, well, it seems like they've got the attention of Balsamon. Yeah, so uh, Surath and crew, they head back to Falm, but uh, Nynaeve and Elaine escape, and... 
I have almost won over to Team Nynaeve here because... She just kicks the ass. She, except for accepting Leander's lies up to this point, she plays the situation <laughs> great. It's like, it's rock and roll time. I'm going to blow these people the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she like gets super angry and, and starts nuking them. And There's like lightning shooting down and from escaped, the sky. And like during this whole other scene... They, they occasionally, they're off in the distance, there's just an explosion. And they're like, oh, that's Nynaeve. <laughs> <laughs> Guess Nynaeve's still not caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so as they're, as Egwene is heading back with her new master, Rena, the Suldam, uh, Suldam starts training her like a dog. Yep. Uh, with like pain and reward and stuff. Telling her, oh, you get to keep your name. That's because I'm a really nice, you know, Suldam or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's the collar that they put on Egwene. That, yeah. Rena wears a bracelet, and that lets her control the person wearing the collar with like pain. And we start learning. Yeah, we we learn the first of the rules of this collar thing. What what's it called? Adam. Something? Adam. Yeah. Adam. Uh, it because Nynaeve takes a swing at uh, Rena. Yeah. Not, or Egwene takes a swing at Rena, mm-hmm. and it feels like she just got hit in the face. So yeah. Apparently, any tri- any pain they try to put on their master is visited twice. As hard on them, yeah, right, up to death. So that that's pretty restrictive. There's not a lot you can do around something like that. Mm-hmm. It's off. It's like a perfect slavery machine. Yes. Yeah. But uh, but Rena does give her a little history about the Adam. She says it was invented by Aes Sedai. Some of the Aes Sedai that went with uh, Hawkwing's blood. Right. Uh, it was inv- invented to fight the the bad Aes Sedai or whatever. And then they just use it on all the Aes Sedai, including the one who made it. Yeah, including the one who made it, which seems like. You could have seen that coming. Yeah. yeah. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. This is what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess all the all the channelers are kept as slaves using these slave devices. Yeah. Which is just grim and awful, I think. Yep. So, but yeah, they're heading her, they're heading back, and then uh, Nynaeve and Elaine meet up. Um, Suroth gives up on chasing them because it's not worth it. Screw it. Uh, and they head back, and uh, so Nynaeve and Elaine are free. You know, they've escaped. And they decide to head to Falm to help uh, Egwene because Nynaeve is pretty cool. Something interesting is Elaine mentions that there that she was actually about to be caught, but when they sound that call, the soldiers chasing her, despite the fact that they would have caught her in moments, just turn around and leave. Right? Yeah, because it's all about obedience, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, freedom. Yeah. So Nynaeve can apparently only channel when she's angry, which, which is luckily is eighty percent of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. She's she's angry a lot. Yeah, but they talk about how she. Had lost lost her anger and was and there were some dudes coming around the corner maybe uh, and she was trying to get angry again because she couldn't channel she couldn't do anything right naive Hulk <laughs> yeah you wouldn't like me when I'm angry which is all the time yeah right uh, so chapter forty one real quick one last thing I want to point out from uh, forty mm-hmm. when naive first finds Elaine what's the first thing she does she tells her to brush her hair. <laughs> Dead serious. Whoa, did she? I missed yes. that. She, they, apparently, Elaine's been running through the underbrush and is, you know, a little scruffed up and yeah, her dress is ragging her. She's got her hair is all. I'd say it's justified to have must hair at that moment. <laughs> right? It's like, come on, guys. You, there's nothing more important right now. And then he's like, you should brush your hair and takes out her brush yeah. and hands it to her. Okay, if I were on Team Nynaeve, which I'm not, okay. I would say this is Nynaeve's way of getting Elaine. To calm down, to like be in the right headspace, you know, give okay. her something she can control okay. to deal with. Okay, I'll I'll accept that because otherwise it's really irritating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nynaeve, it's it's a ploy to help calm Elaine right. because she's a natural leader of women. Right. Chapter forty-one: disagreements with the icon of a dagger. The dagger. 
The dagger, right, yeah. The the ruby-hilted dagger. So uh, Rand and his team are traveling on Tomon Head, and it's just awful. Like, it's freezing rain, you know? Pouring rain, yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's no there's no trail for Huron to follow. There's no stiffer trail, so they're just sort of wandering around. And uh, Matt looks like absolute death. And they, they say again, right, like, it's... It's even worse that he sounds so healthy. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah. he's like he's full of vigor. He's like he doesn't seem to be weak physically, but he just looks like he's gaunt and and you know on yeah, his deathbed. Yeah. Which is, I mean, how does that work, right? Don't you? Isn't the way you look like and the way you feel like connected? Magic, yeah, yeah right, magic. yeah. Like he's probably being. Well, I, I wonder if he is he dying and the dagger magic is keeping him alive. Like, does he only feel good because was, of dagger magic? I was thinking about that. Like, like it. To me, it feels like he's being like, it feels like he's being drained by the absence of the dagger. So, you know, it's it's something's like eating him away, mm-hmm. and somehow the dagger protects him from that. Though I don't really understand how that would work. It, you would think being near the dagger would have the opposite effect, right? That yeah, being near the dagger would eat him away. But I don't think the dagger is <laughs> amazing revelation here. I don't think the dagger is good for him. I think it's something that he just depends on now. It's like his life support. It, it, there's mm-hmm. there's definitely like an a, an addiction kind of allegory there you know oh interesting yeah he's he's addicted to the he's going through withdrawal now i guess Mm. and this withdrawal could kill him Hmm. i hadn't thought about it that way that's a good analogy yeah (laughs) you can use that dagger to well speaking of addiction rand in this chapter is like struggling not to touch side in uh because it's it just feels so great yeah it's so wonderful yeah up until recently he's he has hadn't hadn't had too much trouble resisting it because you know, I guess I guess he hadn't gotten hooked yet. Maybe, yeah. Like it, it seems like the more he's done it, the more the more addicted he is to it. Even though he, it always says it makes him feel like he wants to puke. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not it's not a, necessarily a pleasant feeling, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting the way Jordan describes it. He says things like, you know, it's it's like ecstasy and and illness all in one. You know. Yeah. It's like it's beautiful and gross. So anyway, they uh, regroup. At a abandoned village, and it's abandoned because there's war everywhere. Whatever the Shanchen have done, and whatever the White Cloaks have been doing, uh, we are seeing like the the effect of it on the small folk. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just houses burned down in every village, and this village is abandoned, and they see a lot of refugees, and uh, it's it's awful. And this is this is one of those things that Tolkien never gets into, which is the effect of war on most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a in a Tolkien novel, this would be like, oh, the the people are really happy that we're gonna go win this war, but right, yeah. But in in this, it's you see that wars. Yeah, these held. these people just live here. They they don't have a stake in this. They they don't, they don't buy into any ideology here. That's just their lives are ruined. Yeah. Maybe it's a little morbid of me, but I totally want to know what the Shanchen have been doing because this is not the first time they've talked about. There's a large charred patch in the village square. We don't know what exactly happened there. Mm. But Huron mentions it. But yeah, yeah, Huron mentions it a few times and he vomits too. Um, And he's like, Huron has smelled some shit, you know? He smelled Mm -hmm. Trollocs eating people and all kinds of things. So I really want to know, like, what has been happening there? Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, I think that so. I think they mentioned that when the Shanchen come in, they kill the local leadership and they're all of their families. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly how, but I think that's what it is. It's like men, women, children all being like killed brutally in this in the town square essentially so they're having a disagreement uh, on team rand which is rand and matt and perrin and viren and uh, ingtar and huron they're disagreeing about what to do Mm -hmm. because there's no trail and ingtar is 
acting really weird. Yeah, he's super obsessed with finding the horn. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's like, it, he's starting to act a little bit like Matt-like, almost. You know, the way Matt used to be with the dagger, he's starting yeah. to act a little bit like that. Yeah, like obsessed. And it's, I was just, uh, I actually flipped back and looked, the Inktar... He was really cool when we first met him. He yeah. was this really kind of cheerful, like, happy warrior guy. Oh, I can't wait to go out and fight in a battle. When Rand was in the in the uh, the castle and that fate attacked, it was Ingtar who came and saved him, right? Yeah. He was like, don't worry, I'll take care of this motherfucker, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he seems well, like a cool dude. I was wondering if it's just an honor thing, because the Shinarans are supposed to be, it's all about honor, right? And so maybe yeah. he just feels like this is something he absolutely has to do. Maybe, but e- even Huron is saying he's acting weird. Even mm. Huron is reacting badly to what it, the way he's being. Mm. Yeah. Exactly, sketchy. So they, anyway, they have some disagreements, and they don't really resolve anything. And uh, Rand goes upstairs in this inn to to sleep, and is about Osman dream, which I didn't bother to write down any notes about <laughs> because I'm getting bored of these. I mean, like every time, like how many in this book alone? He's had like five or six of them, right? Just yeah. in this book. And Balsamon's like, I'm going to get you. And Rand's like, no, you're not going to get me. He's like, I've yes. already gotten you a thousand times. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, like every time. Yeah, and then and, Rand is like, father of lies. Yeah. Yeah. You're the father of and lies. And then he He's wakes like, up and there's some nice. sign like Balsamon was really there and it wasn't just fully a dream or something. And Rand's like... <gasps> but then we're all like, yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we know every time. Uh, yeah, does any, anybody want to talk about the Balsamon dream? Not really. Yeah. There, there's really nothing in it. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's, it's more the same. He says... Uh, you know, I'm going to get you. And Rand says, no, you're not going to get me. He said, I've already gotten you. And if you die, I'm still going to get you. you know, like, it's nothing new, right? Yeah. yeah. And Rand is like, oh, I have to protect the people from um, back home. And he draws on Sidon and wants to do it some more. Yeah. 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 So, chapter 42. Boom. Foam. We get another one of these helmets, which are really cool looking. I actually, yeah. I actually kind of dig them. Shine helmet. Yeah. They're insectoid helmets. Mm-hmm. So uh, Nynaeve and Elaine are in Falm, uh, incognito. They're they're hiding out, and they're trying to find a way to, to find and help Egwene and Min, wherever they are. Uh, we see a bunch of Falm here. We see a bunch of Shunshin beasts, actually, uh, which we, we know about the Grom, but there's also the cat ones. And in this chapter, we see some flying ones yeah. and also some wingless bird types that have, like, knobbly skin. This is all super cool. I, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I want to know... I don't know about their world. You know, what's it like there? Right. Yeah, are they on just like, uh, are they like in the land of the lost? Are there a bunch of dinosaurs? I mean, like some of these things sound like dinosaurs. Yeah, right? Uh, there don't seem to be, are there any other in this world animals uh, or fantastic creatures? Like, you know, flying horses or anything like that? Not that, we're, not that I'm aware of. I mean, there, well, there's there's Trollocs, obviously, and then there's the... Yeah. Drogkar. The Drogkar. But... Drogkar, yeah, those are all kind of... Genetic engineering, Human-y-esque, yeah, humanoids, yeah. yeah. And then I, I guess in we did in when they were in the um the blight, the blight, yeah, yeah. We did see a bunch of stuff there, right? There were a bunch of weird creatures in the blight. There were weird plants and trees. That's right. That yeah, people. there were there were worms, and there was something that that Lan, that was chasing them, and Land just went and dealt with it. <laughs> just like badass it to death. <laughs> Find out it was a cow. <laughs> Kill the cow. <laughs> but we also know that they, while they don't have, they do have some creatures that we don't have. They don't have some creatures that we do have, right? I believe that there are references to. They're talking. I think it was. Um, Bale Dilmon who was talking about a skeleton I think it was like a an elephant or something right Maybe. yeah oh right I yeah th- some of the things that they described you're like I'm pretty sure that's just a yeah, thing from, that we- so from the fantasy world as analog to Europe that, that makes sense because they didn't have elephants in Europe but they knew about them right 
But these are the the beasts the Shanshan have are different because they're like fantastical. They're flying creatures that you can ride. Mm-hmm. Right? They're they're something completely else. They're not not anything we know about. I think he does a really good job with making with um taking things that are uncanny and unknown and making you feel uncomfortable as the reader when you're reading about it. Mm. Like, this is a scary as shit situation that they're in, mm. in this city. And I think a big part of it is because everything is so weird and fantastic, which is something I think Robert Jordan does well. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't give them a name. He doesn't give them, like, he doesn't, he even, I would say his descriptions are even a little bit vague, which forces you, which which makes them more alien, maybe? Like, if you describe it in great yeah. detail. Yeah, he's good at that. Yeah. Well, I think he describes it in a way that um, it feels like it's from the perspective of the characters that are actually there. Like, they're not standing there and describing things and giving these long descriptions of them. They're saying, oh, here's this creepy thing. That How yeah. weird is that? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Nynaeve and Elaine are, are hiding out, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and Elaine is really bad at avoiding attention. I mean, Which, she is a princess. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. But yeah. you, you'd think she'd get on board pretty no, quick. She's the daughter heir. Daughter heir, my bad. Oh, yeah. They don't have princesses. <laughs> yeah, no princesses. And they, uh, there's this uh, funny thing where uh, Elaine uses the, the power to steal some apples. Yeah. Because you can't do that without the power, I guess. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> and then Nynaeve, she kind of bitches her out, right? And then yeah. proceeds to eat the And then apples. she totally eats them, yeah. <laughs> She's like, you better stop that. Oh, and there was this hilarious part, too. They are talking about the everybody, all the locals in Falmar avoiding the Shanshan soldiers. And even the street artists did not offer to draw them in chalks or pencils, although they pestered everyone else. So the caricaturists <laughs> are like, even the caricaturists are standing back. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. Yeah. The, that's the, really serious. The yeah, right. Or, uh... Nynaeve and Elaine uh, decide to stake out the Damani house. Uh, which is uh, a good thing to do. That's where Egwene is. And we know that because we cut to uh, Egwene in the slave quarters, in the Damani house. Uh, and it's just, it's awful. Uh, she's being kept like a slave, like a like an animal almost, because she can't take off this collar, and the collar controls her. Uh, and the, the collar can do anything it wants. It, like, it, it has the authorly powers of just blocking any type of escape that you could ever think of. Yeah, I remember the first time I read these books, I really uh, did not like these this these chapters. I didn't like this part because it felt it felt like the the, the collar leash situation was just it it was it, it, I'm trying to think of how to say this. It stopped being interesting because it was so infallible. Yeah, like the characters be, have no agency. Yeah, it'd be it'd be way more interesting if there were potential like avenues for escape or you know there are tricks or, or or she could figure something out but every time she tries something she's like horribly punished and every time she like has an idea it's worse you know everything makes it worse yeah it's 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 kind of silly too because it's like well she thinks about you know grabbing the the bracelet and running off with it oh no no if you even think about grabbing the bracelet you get horrible cramps and you fall down yeah, yeah. it was the water pitcher one that really annoyed me how she thought about she there she thought about taking the water pitcher and smacking someone upside the head with it but now according to the magic power of the collar like since she thought of it as a weapon she can't even use it anymore yeah so it like reads her minds and makes decisions based yeah, on that yeah it was dumb it's just awfully convenient mm-hmm. yeah and and uh, like, like arbitrary in a way that that doesn't really make a lot of sense it, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny too well because it doesn't really make any sense like it's not it, do, it doesn't follow logical rules really mm-hmm. yeah i was thinking uh, it's very subjective you know uh, uh, i just i because when i see something like this i think like what would be a better story the better story would be like if they 
had to keep a, a Suldom in the bracelet, like controlling her 24-7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without a Suldom there, she wasn't under control. Yeah, so and like so it became this kind of social thing where the, there had to be somebody around her all the time, which, mm-hmm. you know, would give kind of story-like uh, areas where the story could go where she could, like, exploit the different Suldom against each other or, you know, take advantage of the changeover thing. Just something she could do. But instead, it just feels like Robert Jordan is just saying, no, 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 she just can't escape. And don't don't ever bother why, because everything I can think of, she can't do. Well, that, I, that's exactly what it feels like. I am going to argue, though, that by her not having to be connected to someone all the time, it makes it more, even more like she's just an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think they're trying to make the point here that she's just being treated like an animal, because they can just attach the collar and leash in the backyard and walk <laughs> off, you know? Yeah. It's very tortury, and I don't, I don't, I don't really care for tortury stuff, to be honest. It's a little right. too tortury. Yeah. So. Uh, Min comes to visit, uh, and Min is still around, and she's allowed to come visit, which they do to keep Egwene nice, because Egwene is like a prize domine, because she's so powerful, and she has earth powers. Yeah, she can find ore? Yeah, yeah which, which is an oddly mean, practical thing for them to be concerned with. Yeah, I mean, typically, it, it's it's funny the way that works, because in 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 the land, I don't know, what, what's the name of the world that... All this happens in Middle Earth. I don't think they ever give it a name because yeah. they just live there in the, uh, in, the in, in this the, magic land. In the fandom, is called Randland. Okay, cool. <laughs> we can we can we can go with that. In Randland, the only magic users are are people with, with are who are essentially like super nobility, right? So they would never use their power for normal things. I, I mean, we we're, we're talking we, we were talking earlier in, in a previous chapter, maybe in a previous book, about the fact that there are people starving and like the Aes Sedai aren't using their powers to like help people eat, yeah, right? Yeah. So because the magic users, the Aes Sedai or the the channelers, are enslaved, they're more tools. I guess they use them for a lot more practical applications than we've ever. Like, there's nothing that says an Aes Sedai couldn't do all these things that they're doing, right? It's true. Aes Sedai could go around and help people find ore. Well, I was a little curious, too, why they're so excited about her being able to find ore. It made me wonder about the composition of the world that the Shanchen came from. Oh, like, hmm. maybe that's super useful back in Shanchen land. Yeah, wouldn't right. That, wouldn't that be useful anywhere, though? I mean, like, being able to find, like, mines. Sure. Yeah. But, I don't and know. make someone money. Mm-hmm. That's how you get or rich. Or weapons. Or yeah. weapons. Yeah. yeah. So we learned that some Aes Sedai are slaves of the Shanchen, too. They've got collars on them. Uh, so they, they just got caught. Yeah, I think there's two of them, right? Yeah, and there's a horror story about one of them who they took her name away. They just punished her if she used her own name and made her answer to a different name. Yeah. Which is so dehumanizing. Yeah, and they I think they even mentioned that, I think it's Rena who says something like, well, you know, I'm very nice, so I let you keep your name. Right, yeah, except. Except. Rena yeah. comes and Egwene has actually been trying to figure out how to take the collar off. Which, of course, Rena, in the Suldam, immediately knows mm-hmm. because the caller immediately tells her about it because you can never, ever have any thoughts anymore. Yeah. Uh, and she takes Egwene's name away. She, yeah. She, she says, says, you have to answer to this name that was a kitten's name. Tuli. Yeah, Tuli. the kitten I had when I was young. Yeah. That's your name now. Which is super frustrating. Yep. Okay, so... These chapters suck. Yeah, I, you know, I had a lot of, yeah, okay. I really did have a lot of trouble with these chapters because, like, we're getting a little bit sloggy. I remember this happened in the previous book, too, right? There's a mm-hmm. there's a chunk of chapters in the middle where nothing's really happening. The traveling chapters, the right? The traveling chapters yeah, in the last book. Yeah, yeah, just end to end to end, road to road to road. We're yeah. in this middle place where there, there's just not much really 
There's not, 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 nothing really is changing. There's a bunch of characters sitting, kind of stagnating, I guess. And the thing is, I'd be okay with not much happening if it wasn't just the empty space was being filled with conversations. Yeah, and these conversations, they're, they're conversations about basically nothing. Stuff that we already know, that they already know. This is how I feel about Rand. This is how you feel about Rand. This is how our relationship relates to that. They have that conversation four times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, George R. R. Martin, to, just pluck an example from the air, can write a conversation, or sorry, can write a chapter where nothing but conversations happens, but there it's, but the plot moves forward. People are making decisions and changing their minds about things, and mm-hmm. it becomes, there's a reason for following that. Yeah, these, these are real, these are like kind of inane conversations, and, and it would be, again, it would be one thing if they were, they were actually new or different, but as you mentioned, this, this conversation about who's going to marry Rand, or, uh, uh, whether I like this boy or that boy, we've had that conversation so many times. It's like I could feel like I could skip those sections, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, there was a lot of that in this, this, these chapters. Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe he had to reach a certain uh, number of pages, <laughs> and so he just was like, "Oh shit, I'm near the end," but you know, I'm gonna write 80 pages of nothing but conversations and just like stick it in there. Yeah, before the finale. Maybe I mean, but this book is bigger than the first one, so I mean. It's already like past the limit, right? Yeah, it's well, just like, publishers probably like you know save us some money, write some fewer words. <laughs> he, it's it's. I guess he feels the need to check in with these characters. Like we, you know, we, we're probably thinking he's probably thinking, oh, my readers are going to want to know what is you know Rand doing during all this stuff, even though he's not doing anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So we have this random inserted he, chapter where he's sitting in an inn. So here is an uncharitable explanation. These are chapters where they're women having conversations with each other, uh-huh. and he's like. Well, what do women do? They just sit and talk. And talk and talk and talk about nothing. I I think that Robert Jordan does a lot of things well, but I don't think he writes characters in general. But more specifically, I I think he writes women really badly. I don't Mm -hmm. think he knows how. I don't think he he understands how people actually talk. (laughs) You know? like That's hard to write, to be fair. I mean, yeah, that's true. I'll take a bit of an exception to that, because the way people talk in books and movies is not like the way people talk in real life. That's a good point. That's a good point. I was just thinking about uh, David Mamet films. I, I really like David Mamet films. And the way his people talk is completely artificial, right. but it, it's really it really works. Yeah. So so it's not that he doesn't write people the way they actually talk. He just writes boring conversations. <laughs> yeah. he, he writes people that we don't really care about listening to. And I, it gets super repetitive too. Like when Rand is going to meet Balsamon and he's going to say, "I reject you, Father of Lies." Like how many times does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's 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 absolutely right. This this dream that used to be. Uh, kind of an interesting, kind of creepy thing. They're really boring now. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean if they're the the whole the, the creepy double dreams that Rand is having are having are boring to us now? That's, yeah, right. Yeah, too many times. Uh, I, we're getting to a point where the characters are, in general, are just not very. They're 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 not very engaging anymore. You know, I I find a lot of times the characters he spends less time on are more compelling in these books. Yeah, like I think I think we all agree that Min is a, a pretty cool character. Yeah, just to who she is and why she does what she does. And Ingtar, specifically in these chapters, has been like acting funny. Yeah. You know? And it, that's a lot. Basically, what's going on with Ingtar is more interesting than what's going on with all these other characters. But we get like, you know, a paragraph about Ingtar being like, I must have the horn. And yeah. then Huron's like, dude, you're acting a little weird. And then it's like, we never, we spend, you know, 20 pages listening to something that doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I personally, going back to Min, I would like to see a Min origin story. You know, Min Min is one of the most interesting characters. I don't know if she's complex or deep or anything, but I love I love the the way he's presenting this kind of out of 
out of place character. She doesn't seem to fit into any of the 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 structures that are around her, which is kind of fun, you know. Yeah, where did she come from? You're right. The origin story would be great. How did she, there's nobody else, no other women wearing men's clothing in this book. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. No other there are women who are just going their own way. Yeah, like men is. Mm-hmm. She's very independent. She does kind of her own thing, and and nobody people give her a hard time about it, but she's she's not aggressive and stubborn about it like Nynaeve is. She's just like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it, you know? And I find it really frustrating too that only one time in both books have we found out what men can see. That's her superpower, right? She can see symbols and things around people's heads. But there was only that one time. Was it even in The Great Hunt or was it... No, it was in, in the last book. I it was in The Eye of the yeah, World. Where she, yeah, when she describes... Early oh, on. Yeah. When, the, the Bear City. The Bear City. <laughs> um, where she talks about, oh, above land, I can see the Seven Towers or whatever. And we hear about these cool symbols. And that's super cool. But mm-hmm. I love that little that little mechanic they inserted. But we yeah, never hear about it we again. We never hear about it again. We just hear her saying, oh, I see them in danger. Or, you know, I see you have danger or whatever. But we don't mm-hmm. know what the symbols are or anything. And... I mean, maybe she doesn't, she just doesn't want to have that conversation with people for whatever reason, but at least maybe we could have a chapter that's men-centered where we learn more about what it is she's seeing, even if she's not telling anyone. Yeah, I really do, because like, Min says, oh, I don't like telling people what they see, and I, I guess I kind of buy that because she sees these symbols and she doesn't, I, I suspect that she doesn't often know what they mean. You know, sometimes it's... Obvious stuff. Sometimes, it's, sometimes she she's able to kind of piece together what things mean. But I bet most of the time she sees a thing and she has no idea what it's actually representative of. So it's like if if she tells someone I see this thing, they're gonna bug her about it, and she doesn't want to be bugged, you know. But at the same time, I would I would really I would love a min chapter where it's just mm-hmm. like she's walking down the street and she sees oh this guy has yeah. like you know a dagger through his eye, but it's probably fine. Yeah, it's connected. You know the the reason that. She acts like she's not a part of this society. She acts different from everybody. I wonder if that's connected with how, because she's been seeing these things since she was a kid, right? She's seeing True. things people don't don't see. Mm-hmm. Well, we won't know unless we have an origin story from it. I wonder if like, if most of the stuff she sees is really uninteresting. Like, oh, you're gonna poop your pants in a week. <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, you could. I guess you could tell someone that, but it's not going to change it. <laughs> you're still going to shit yourself. You'd be worse off. <laughs> yeah, you just know you're going to shit yourself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Again, the classy podcast. That's Pod right. Class. <laughs> Pod class. <laughs> yeah. And the thing it. is, he's done it before, though. Like, I, th- you know, what I think it is. Okay. So when he first wrote Min, and Min tells us about these different symbols they see. Later on, we find out that they have relevance. Right. Mm-hmm. She sees crowns. She sees whatever. And we find out that this part of the character, I wonder if we don't find out what Min sees anymore because Robert Jordan doesn't know where he's going with the story. Oh, yeah, that's entirely that's possible. Yeah. You know, if if he were able to, if he did know what he was doing, it would be a great way to insert little foreshadowing hints that don't tell you anything useful, but later on, you know, the, yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun, but no. Yeah, I don't think he's plotted it out. I think he's kind of flailing right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to... The way that he has implemented this kind of slavery in these books is bad. Yeah, I, I it feels it feels really bad. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way artificial. to artificial. Yeah, if it, it doesn't. It's it, not. It's not good writing. It's not fun to read. It's not making any kind of interesting point. Yeah, it just feels like uh, like you were saying earlier. Like he, he just has this long list of rules. Everything that you know, like he sat there and thought, like, how would I get out of this? And then just made a rule, like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, I think that there are 
there are effective ways to handle something like this. Like if you could write, you know, broad, like realistic criteria by which the thing operates. But the, the idea that someone, you know, sat down and made this list of very specific circumstances. And if those circumstances happen, yeah. this bad thing happens. If they try and touch the bracelet, they get cramps. And if they try and hurt the person that has the bracelet, then they get hurt twice as bad as that. Yeah. And if they try and channel, then they get sick. And if they try and think about channeling, then the other lady knows about it. And then she's going to punish her anyway. It's just like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like, it, yeah, it's, it's like a, a kid who's inventing their like ideal superhero. And someone's like, well, this is how I beat you. And then he says, well, no, you can't do that because I can also do this other thing. You it's, know? it's Calvin ball. It's Calvin oh, Ball. Calvin ball. <laughs> yeah. Makes the whole thing feel arbitrary and, and meaningless. And yeah. you know what annoys me too? How the Soldan can change and how they can just hang up the collar and mm-hmm. leave. Yeah. yeah. It would be way more interesting if someone always had to wear the 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 soul the the soldom always had to be wearing controlling them on or you know they might be able to escape or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. That's a much more believable social structure around this. Mm-hmm. Other than that we've just got this magic tool that that makes you a slave forever and there's nothing you can do about it. But you know, if there's actually some kind of social impact. Like an interesting situation would be if the soldom round the clock had to have the somebody in the bracelet. Yeah, so they had like a changing of the guard and all that kind of you thing. Know, I was just thinking a much more interesting way for this to go would be if they captured Egwene and put her in this like slave collar thing and that, that their slave collar their slavery process works if you're from the Shanshan world and you accept rank and you kind of accept your place in life but since Egwene is this strong-willed like Manetheran blood of person that she eventually like she doesn't fit into the slot she's able to like sort of force her way out you mm-hmm. know like they never they would never expect her to just stab the her soldom in the back or something because a Shanshan would never do that, but uh, you know the blood of Manetherin would. You know that, that would be a more interesting story. I, I agree, and and it would also give Egwene uh, power. It would give her the. It would give her agency. She would be the one who gets herself out of this instead of having to be this ridiculous damsel in distress. Who no matter what she does, no matter what she thinks of, no matter what, she can't get away. So somebody has to rescue her. You know, it's like it's it's mm-hmm. boring. You know. Yeah. It's boring and kind. Of, yeah, lame. I don't like it. It's, it's bad. Just, it's good. It's bad writing, and it's frustrating to read. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I feel it's like we're, we're shitting on. Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, ahead. like his, his writing is not all bad, right? Yeah. Even no. in these chapters, like sometimes the he does this interesting structure thing that that I find a little hard to recap. Where he'll like something will happen, or or they'll be like meeting up and they'll talk about what's been happening. Yeah. And he'll like w- move forward in time, and they'll be like, "Oh man, that really sucked when that thing happened." Yeah. Which is a good to read. It's, it's, I, I don't know. I actually don't like it. I think, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's like, I feel like at that point there's, there's, le- there's no stakes because they're sitting in a, they're sitting in an inn talking about like what they did over the last six weeks. And it's like, okay, well, we know nothing too bad is going to happen because they're sitting in this inn talking over the last six weeks, you know? I mean, though, but to be fair though, we hated it when he did lead us through point by point by point, like with, um... When Matt and Rand were traveling together, those agonizing chapters, we did see things as they were happening in real time, I guess. But that got really boring really fast. So this is his way of kind of recapping. I think I'd almost prefer if the character was just in the place where they said they were going to go. And they were like, now we're going to move on to the next thing. Instead of like, well, over the last six weeks, we walked down the trail. And then we saw this other village. And then we saw this other. You know, it's, it's not, to me, it's not a lot of fun to read. I'm okay with it. But I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I, I, I know we, we, yeah, there's a little bit of like shitting on Robert Jordan, but you know, there, 
there are some things that he does really well. I love the way he builds a world. I love like the setting of this, these stories. Mm-hmm. I love the way that uh, he writes action scenes. It's like really engaging and interesting. Yeah, that, I think that, he, I that think, scene with the when Nynaeve was yeah. off on her own, like. And just occasionally something would blow up in the distance. That was so cinematic. I could just envision that, you know? Yeah, they're just, like, having this conversation, and then periodically there'd be, like, a burst of lightning or, like, a fire go- fireball going yeah. off. It's it like was a- almost comedic. It kind of was, yeah, yeah, right? Like, oh, I guess we still haven't caught her yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that was great. And and he writes those sorts of scenes really well, but I I, I think he writes shitty characters. <laughs> like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's written a character that I've been really excited about in a little bit. Yeah. Short men. And maybe Loyal. I like Loyal. Though he's kind of just... He's not doing anything right now, right? He's just like tagging along and worrying about his books. I think this is that, that ending thing I was talking about. Because Loyal had a purpose, and now he's just also there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He should have stayed back at the last studying they were at with all the ladies who were interested in him. That would, that would be, honest to me, a satisfying ending for Loyal. He's like... Yeah. Like, I'm scared that I'm going to go get, they're going to marry me off. Then he gets there and he sees that super hot Ogier lady. And, and she's like, like, maybe I'm just going to stay here. Yeah, you know, they, uh, they they seem like they need some help from a knowledgeable Ogier. I'm going to hang here for a little bit. Right. And, like, get my Ogier Mac on. Right, yeah. With this hot Ogier lady. I want that for Loyal. Yeah, I want that for Loyal, too. But right now he's just, like, wandering through the rain, worried about his books. He's a walking library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's... He's, he's a Wikipedia article. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's the Great Hunt's Wikipedia. So that's it for this episode of The Dragon Reread. And next time we're going to cover chapters 43 through 50 of The Great Hunt, which is it, right? That's it. That closes yeah, it out. Yeah. Ultimate episode. This was our penultimate, penultimate yeah, episode. Penultimate will be the ultimate episode. So it comes after the penultimate episode. Uh, I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. Uh, if, if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonreread.com. Please share us with anyone you think will like us. Please give us good reviews on wherever you got this. And uh, please like us in real life. We're very likable. <laughs> Until next time. The, the light, light illuminates you. you.